please join me in the prayer for illumination. All good shepherds of our souls, as your word is read and proclaimed, we ask your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with your joy, that we would return to you and be welcomed home, as you gather us into the arms of your love and amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, we're going to have a reading from St. Paul's first letter to Timothy, uh, the first chapter beginning at verse 12. So this is in the New Testament. I always like to tell my kids that they knew which part of the Bible to look in. Um, and if you're turning in your Bible that is located in your pew, it's on page 208. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I am grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was, a, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I receive mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here is the
The Gospel lesson from Luke chapter 15. Listen with me for the word of God. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Tommy Lasorda, the great Hall of Fame baseball manager for the L.A. Dodgers, won the World Series. He was a larger-than-life persona. He became a celebrity, and it seems that he enjoyed being a celebrity. Tommy Lasorda could be found making a special appearance on TV shows and movies, and he always liked being out and about with people. He liked being recognized. And the story goes that Tommy Lasorda developed um, a little trick because he also liked to go out to eat at restaurants. And Tommy Lasorda would go and he would enjoy his meal, and he would um, greet the people around him. He would find the children and sign their autographs. If people had their camera, he'd take a photo with them. He would talk about how good the food was. He would thank the manager, and he would kind of make a, a big show about things. And as he's walking backwards out the door, he would say very loudly, thank you, thank you everybody, I, ha I had a great night, thanks for hosting me, see you later. And with that, he would exit the restaurant. And people left in the restaurant would be looking around saying, did he just get away with that? Jesus was having a meal with not his adoring fans, but with people who actually needed him. Sinners. People of all shapes and sizes who were coming to Jesus, and Jesus welcomed them. And Jesus was welcoming them, being with them. And Jesus wasn't leveraging his own public persona for his own gain. Instead, Jesus was pouring out, giving his entire life for the sake of, of these people. I think that Jesus eating with the sinners, people like you and me, quite frankly, I think that Jesus 
having these meals was emblematic of his heavenly mission. Because, of course, Jesus' life, his ministry, is captured in his suffering, death, and resurrection for the sake of offering salvation for the whole world. And in so doing, God's love is on full display in Jesus. So Jesus doesn't simply come to die. He comes to live, to share God's life with sinners. The fullness of God is found in Jesus. His actions, his words, his loving kindness. And Jesus lovingly shares God's presence with everybody, including those people that you would imagine he wouldn't be with. And when this is all happening, the religious leaders of all people, they start to do something. Luke chapter 15 has a word for it. They start to grumble. You know what it means to grumble. To grumble means to offer your perspective about a topic, even though nobody's asking, and to offer a very clear perspective of derision and ridicule. We know about grumbling because we live in a world where people very freely grumble, don't they? Very willing to give their perspective about this person or this activity or this thing that, 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 that's happening. No need for me to give you a real-life example of what grumbling looks like because we're surrounded by it. So the religious leaders of all people come to Jesus and they start grumbling about how he is sharing a meal with these sinners of all people. And Jesus does what he does so poignantly. Instead of reacting in the way that you and I might react, when someone grumbles against us. He, he patiently takes the situation and turns it around into a teaching opportunity for all of those who were originally listening and for you and me listening today. He says, which one of you wouldn't go out of your way like a shepherd who has a hundred in his flock? 99 are safe and sound right over here, but, but there's one who has gotten lost and is far away from the flock. Wouldn't you, says Jesus, wouldn't you go out of your way, trusting that the 99 are all right, to go and make sure that the lost one is found and brought back home? I, I, I wonder if there is some subtlety in what Jesus is saying here. Because the sheep are regarded as property. And 100 sheep in a flock, that's a pretty big flock. Most shepherds can keep track of 20 to 30, maybe. But 100, that's a big number. The math of this, I think, is interesting. Because most shepherds might say, you know what, I got 99 over here. No one's going to notice if this one is lost. I'm just going to forget about that one and just focus on what I have and move on with my day. 
knowing that's the way that so many people, especially in privilege, would likely look at the situation, Jesus kind of leans in and says, now wouldn't you go looking after that one? Jesus follows up with this made-up story with another made-up story, also about lost property. Suppose a woman has ten coins. Nine of them are safely with her, but there's one that she can't find. She would go looking for it. She would light the lantern. She would look here. She would look there. She would look under here. She would look everywhere until she finally finds that coin. The math on this one's a little bit different. Ten coins, nine are safe, one is lost. Wouldn't you do everything possible to go and find that one? My wife and I have three wonderful children, two who are teenagers and one who is well on her way. And one of the topics that seems to come up over and over again is how do we teach responsibility? How do we teach responsibility? Some people, it seems, it comes naturally, right? And others, others, those lessons come a little bit more slowly. How do you teach responsibility? Do you give an, an inspiring example of responsibility, one that another can emulate? Do you give a little piece of responsibility, just a little bit, trusting that if they do all right with this one, then we'll give a little bit more. And then if they do well with that one, we'll give a little bit more. I mentioned this during the sermon at the 8.30 service and um, during our fellowship time in the Carter lobby afterwards, a loving church member came up to me and he said, you forgot about another way to teach responsibility. Threatening. <laughs> I think Jesus is displaying for us one of the ways most people learn responsibility. When you face the prospect of losing something. Again, we're talking about physical possessions, a sheep, a coin. Things that you cherish, that you have, that are oftentimes a part of your household, your home. These things that remind you of who you are, that, that bring you comfort, that remind you of your identity, things that you work hard to, to secure and to protect. When you have the possibility of losing something that is awfully difficult. You've experienced this, haven't you? When you can't find your keys, you can't find your wallet, can't find that book. What about more, more weighty things, though? Um, a precious piece of jewelry, a handwritten note from years ago. These things that we have when we can't find them, when we mistakenly misplace them, we come up with all kinds of words because we don't want to bear the guilt of losing something. We play these mind games to try to protect ourselves from the possible pain. And even if for a moment we, we start to adapt to what life might look like without this thing, and it's hard. It's painful. But then when we find it, oh, 
we're very quickly able to adapt back to the homeostasis, life with the thing. But it brings us so much joy. Oh, there's such great relief, such great relief when we can take a deep breath and realize, oh, I didn't lose that thing after all. One of the words that repeats in Luke 15, verses 1 through 10, rejoice. Rejoice. It's the action of proclaiming joy from deep within your life when you have good reason to rejoice because of what God has done for you. Jesus says, if we can understand how, how much joy it brings us to find that thing we thought was lost, how much more joy is there in heaven when a sinner repents? Someone, not a thing, but someone who we thought was lost is found, is carried back home on the shoulders of the good shepherd to come home to God. Such great rejoicing in heaven. Sometimes the way that we need to learn the lesson of responsibility is to recognize the potential of losing. My hope for us this day is we can see we are not lost. We have been found. You are a part of the 99. So don't be surprised when the church's mission includes going after the one. Here's something I've learned in my life as a pastor. The sheep in the 99, they like to be comforted. They like to be petted. They like it when they can eat very easily. They like to make sure that they are eating from beautiful green grass, that they're led by the still waters, because that's what we are taught. That's what we learn about life in the care of the Good Shepherd. We appreciate it. We love it. We cherish being home together in the flock under the care of the Good Shepherd. And as much as we like being together with those other 98, let's recognize that it's the work of the church to go after that which is potentially lost. It's a priority. It's our job. It's our job as the church to carry forward this mission so that all people can experience the saving love of Jesus Christ. So that all people who instead of going through life broken, can experience wholeness. Instead of going through life in isolation, can experience genuine community. What joy there is in heaven as reflected in the life of the fellowship of faith. When we can celebrate that one that was astray, way over there, when that one is hoisted up on the shoulders of Jesus. The good news of the gospel is not only that you are part of the 99, the good news of the gospel is also that Jesus calls you and me 
to be a part of that saving work. Through your kindness, your invitation, through your generosity, through your acts of servant leadership, Jesus is able to go out. God's love can be enacted in the life of someone who otherwise was lost. And that person can also come home. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you have sought us out. You have saved us. We thank you for the assurance that you place within our hearts, the comfort that comes from being at home with you with one another. So help us, O oh God, to trust in your saving work, not just for us, but for those who we think are too far gone, those for whom we think there is no chance. Because with you, O oh God, all things are possible. We rejoice with the angels over all who come to know and experience life through you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I invite you to affirm this faith now as we stand and join together in proclaiming the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated.